Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. All right, welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. Uh, I have with me Mark McConnell, Dr. Mark McConnell, back uh, for another episode. Welcome. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me again. Have you had enough caffeine this morning? I Um, have. I'm prepared. (laughs) It's always and usually too much for me, but that's all right. It'll be good for our viewers, listeners. Um, So... Last time you were on, we were discussing the farm bill. So we're we're not going to torture our listeners with more of that today. We're going to switch gears, uh, and we're going to talk more about improving profitability with conservation, which is not always what conservationists start with. So I'm excited to talk about this topic. Um, why don't you? So I know you've been on before. If if you didn't listen to the previous recording, Dr. Mark McConnell's an assistant professor of upland birds here at mississippi state university uh recap your background real quick for our listeners so they know a little bit about uh, your research sure i um do mostly research focusing on northern bobwhite and agricultural systems or forested systems but work a lot with farm bill conservation programs and using uh agricultural technology to optimize conservation and profitability for landowners Perfect. Sounds like a perfect fit to uh, discuss profitability, (laughs) which is great. So obviously, this podcast is all about conservation. And as researchers like you are or extension specialists like myself, we aim to help landowners get conservation on the ground. That's the ultimate goal. Um, Well, for me, I guess for you, it's research of that conservation to prove the effect to provide data on the effectiveness of that conservation. But I think we share a really important practical practical perspective that conservation to be widely adopted also needs to make economic sense. Yes. So can you share your thoughts on that topic a little bit? Yeah, I'll back up real quick, though, because uh, I don't think what you and I do with our different job titles is all that different. I think it's you're not. also a scientist just because you're extension. doesn't mean you're not a scientist. Appreciate or just because I'm a I scientist appreciate doesn't mean that. <laughs> I don't do extension work. But I use research as a vehicle to to provide information that helps conservation get on the ground. That is that is my ultimate goal. But yeah, you're right. Uh, profitability has to be addressed, especially in agricultural systems. You know, agricultural producers have one of the highest debt-to-income ratios of any other industry. Uh, you know, the old saying, uh, farmers live poor and die rich, you know, because you know, they're paying off their farm from, or their equipment most of their career. So finances are what they, they make decisions on, and conservation historically in our profession has not focused on the economic side of conservation actions, largely because there, there wasn't data really to support that, that idea. We have the data now, we have the technology now to very easily address the economic outcomes of conservation actions. So yes, what I, what I try to do is find economic opportunities through in agricultural landscapes and use the Farm Bill and the conservation practices in the Farm Bill to apply those to areas on the field that that a farmer can make more money on right yeah those were those are important points and i will i will build on that too um because surely any farmers landowners listening would be like yes absolutely the economics are key if we have general public listening they might say well economics are just part of it 
it shouldn't be everything. And, and ultimately, because we both work somewhat in sustainability, if you if you take the different components of sustainability, yes, there's an, envi- an environmental component and there's a societal component, but the other component is economics. So we want to make sure that our viewers know that that's kind of um, our perspective when we move to the landscape and of these farm systems that there is an environmental component, but it's not everything. And there is an economic component that's also very important to the societal and social components of of making a community sustainable when that community relies on agriculture. Yeah, really good point. So I think one of the things that society doesn't always... um, grasped as, 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 a, as a general rule is that agricultural systems provide societal benefit. They provide ecosystem services, water quality, all these things. Ag, ag landscapes contain all these things that can provide those services. But to do environmentally friendly things, the financial burden to provide those societal benefits, and it is wholly, wholly taken upon by the, by the landowner, by mm-hmm. the producer. So we the reason we try to make it economic because it's their land, they own it. They have to be incentivized to do these things because regulatory frameworks don't always work. They have to be incentivized to do these things that we're gonna provide societal benefits. And that's why taxpayers contributing to conservation title and conservation programs is a solid model because society benefits, mm-hmm. but the landowner takes on the financial burden. And that's why we incentivize financially conservation and agriculture. Yeah, yeah, that is a really good point too. So. I understand that through your research, you've developed a specific economic tool to address some of those issues. So can you break down that tool for us? I know it's going to be scientific, so it's going to be complex, but let's say the way you break it down, anybody could understand what you're talking about. Absolutely. So there's things you need to think about in an agricultural system. In an average farm, there are parts of a field, sometimes the entire field, but oftentimes parts of a field that are not profitable to produce an agricultural crop. And farmers know this, and they know where these areas usually are, but they're generally not terribly aware of how much money they might be losing on this five acres or that 10 acres over there. And the Farm Bill is, uh, as we mentioned in the last uh, recording, the Farm Bill has a lot of conservation opportunities, but they're often complex and, and difficult to understand. And farmers don't always, no one's ever been able to explain to a farmer what the economic outcome of taking land out of production and rolling it in conservation would be. So we developed a tool here at Mississippi State University where we put all three of those problems into a tool. So the tool does several things. It tells you, farmer, where every conservation practice in the Farm Bill will or will not fit on their farm. Okay. Draws it on on the screen so they can see it on an aerial photograph. It allows them to put in, uh, if they have yield data that tells them how much, what bushels per acre they're generating in a field, if they have the technology to collect that information, it, it, it creates what we call a profit surface that shows them in a very pretty map. It looks kind of like a thunderstorm map on the Doppler radar. But it's all dollars? All dollars and cents. It tells them dollars per acre. If it's a red area, you're losing money. If it's, it's an orange, yellow, or green area, you're, maybe you're profitable. And then the last thing it does is it allows you to simulate what would happen if you say you took out the edge of this field where you had a really low yielding area that was low profit. If you took that land out of production and rolled it in one of the many conservation practices available in the Farm Bill, it tells you what your economic return on that field would be across the whole field, so a profit per acre. And then the farmer can make a decision if they think that's enough of a return to justify taking that land out of production. So it simply it just provides the missing data that farmers have never been able to have to make an informed decision on what the most profitable 
way to use their land is. I love that because it's visual. I'm a visual learner, so it's very. Visual. <laughs> if I have words, I have to draw them into some kind of diagram. So I need <laughs> I need the visuals. Um, and so farmers I think do too. It's it's just so much more intuitive. You can learn so much from just a single picture. A um, couple questions about it. So do you have to have the yield data, right? Some of some of our smaller, uh, more disadvantaged farmers may not have yield data because that requires specific equipment, right? Yeah, absolutely. So to run the economic uh, scenario, yeah, you have to have GPS yield data. To run just the eligibility, all you need is the, the field boundaries of the far, of the fields, that's it, which okay. every farmer has or can, can get. So to run where, every con- where these conservation practices, like if you're interested in uh, water quality, there's a suite of practices in the Farm Bill and, and you can pick which ones you want to see, and it'll draw those on your farm where they fit. But to run the economic analysis, yeah, you need you need yield data. And a lot of farmers have it, uh, or they it's on the combine. Right. They just, just haven't actually pulled it off and looked at it. Uh, but yeah, some of the I've noticed uh, that I've noticed that it's there. <clears throat> we just haven't dug it's into it. It's standard on new equipment now, especially. But mm-hmm. if you're using older equipment, uh, yeah, it's that's that's one thing we have to have. But you can still look at which practices fit on your farm. I just can't tell you if it's going to make you more or less money if you enroll that age. Right. The, it's, the numbers aren't going to be as clear. We're trying to find ways. I've got a graduate student still working on this. We're trying to find ways to use uh, some other technology, remote sensing technology, to approximate low-yield So yield satellite areas. imagery? Satellite imagery, uh, among other things. We're working on this right now to see if we can kind of show where you're most likely to benefit financially from it, but that's still in development, and I, I won't release that. Uh, for use until I feel fa- really confident that it, it's accurate. And right. we're, we're developing that technology as well. For the drop-down menu of fitting in the conservation practices, are those mostly specific to CRP? Yes, it is It is just with the CRP practices. You can, we, we have a way you can uh, model land retirement, you know, wetland reserve type uh, easements as well, and uh, some of the more state-specific practices like EQIP and CSP, mm-hmm. we have a way to model those as well, but they're they're not in the the forefront of the tool because every state implements those a little differently so it's we, we kind of have a catch-all uh, alternative we call it alternative practices that you can simulate as well but yes it's all the crp practices okay so f- so for uh for any folks who don't love the farm bill as much as we do crp is conservation reserve program it's more of a, a land sparing type tool putting land aside not farming it uh, when Mark mentioned EQIP and CSP, EQIP is the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, CSP is the Conservation Stewardship Program, and both of those are working lands conservation programs. So if you were going to put conservation within a working land where you're growing crops or running cattle or things like that, so just so you have a little more knowledge of where this conversation is going and the and, dynamics of it. And let me add to that, uh, historically about 80% of the CRP acreage was whole field practice, the entire field enrolled. That, that's kind of historically how it's gone. And in the, I think it was the 96 Farm Bill or maybe it was the 2002 Farm Bill. I think it was 96 where we added uh, some of these more buffer type uh, working lands programs that allow you to farm the majority of the field and remove or retire or spare uh, some of the other areas for conservation. And the, the, the real goal of this tool is to identify the most profitable land, keep farming it, mm-hmm. identify the least profitable land, and put it in a more profitable conservation-minded land use. So uh, the, the phrase that goes around that uh, Pheasants Forever uses for this technology is uh, farm the best, conserve the rest. Uh, 
Oh, that's nice. That's, that's kind of catchy. catchy. That's, that's a catchy, catchy slogan. <laughs> they're really good at, 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 at marketing this approach. So now that this tool, the tool's developed, uh, how, e- how easy is it to use? Like, could a landowner use it? Do they have to have guidance? Because uh, no. we know with <clears> some tools, what you get out is only as accurate as what you put in. Yeah, I had a calculus teacher in high school that explained uh, crap in equals crap out. And uh, <laughs> if we need to edit that, so, that's fine. No, you don't. I think, okay, that's, I think that's fine. The safer <laughs> word to use. Yeah, but with any model, you only get as good what you get at, put as what you put into it. So, no, the average agricultural producer, is, it, is not, it is not intended for them to use on their own because we don't expect them to understand kind of some of the more conservation practices and the details. The ideal scenario is a NRCS district conservationist or a farm bill biologist or a crop consultant. I've got a lot of crop consultants that really mm-hmm. want to use this. They sit down with the farmer and they say, look, let's run some scenarios and let's find a way to make the most money on this farm that we can and if there's a way to include conservation in that, let's do it. So, no, you need somebody who understands that kind of stuff and is a little more technology, technologically driven to, to operate the tool. But that being said, if I could sit down with a farmer who was fairly comfortable on a computer, it wouldn't take me an hour, I don't think, to explain him or her how to use it efficiently. It's just it, we intend it to be used with somebody who's conservation driven and, and is trying to f- help the farmer figure out the best way to use their data. Okay. So obviously, the tool's built around uh, U.S. policy, Farm Bill policy, uh, just because it plugs in those different conservation programs practices. Um, but other than that, within the U.S., are there spatial limitations to this, or could it be used anywhere in the country? The alternative practice that I mentioned earlier, where you could just kind of our catch all non CRP votes, I mean, it, it's just basic economics. It's, not, it's okay. not geared up to any any particular conservation practice. So if you were in Sussex, England, for example. Oh, so that one you could use globally. You could could use it anywhere if you had the yield data and the inputs, which are the field files. So yeah, that part uh, is not restricted to to, to the United States, but you have to put in more of the the math because we have all the economics of each conservation practice built into the code of the tool, so it does it for you. So for that practice, you just have to put in those inputs. But yeah, you could simulate um, uh, economic scenarios with anywhere in the country if you had yield data and you knew the kind of math, the kind of economics, you knew the inputs, you knew the expected mm-hmm. revenues. So yeah, that, that is applicable around the globe. That's exciting. Yeah, so once we get it, the goal is once we get it fully functional, I mean it's fully functional, once we get it adopted and it's being used hopefully in the U.S., uh, my goal is to expand it uh, overseas and work, collaborate with someone over there because a lot of people over there, especially in Europe and Germany and Australia, they're, they're using precision ag technology they just don't have a farm bill and a conservation title like we do, but they have land sparing mechanisms. Yeah, they uh, have the CAP, the Coordinated Agro, I'm not going to say have, it, but it's called the CAP. Yeah, I think. they have a lot of what they call agro environmental schemes. There you uh, go. And yeah, they that's have right. different, they have, but they have a different funding structure and a different incentive structure. But uh, I'd like this to be used uh, everywhere. Uh, okay, that's fantastic. Yeah. Which would be really nice, too. I hope so. You download it? Or does it have to be? <clears throat> right now, it is. it works through a program called ArcGIS, so you just download it. So as, as long as you have ArcGIS. But no, we're developing a standalone version, too, so all you need is a computer with no no uh, advanced software that will run it, too. So that's that that will be released after the initial version is released. It's that's cool. almost done. That's exciting. Yeah, we'd like it. No one, to, you, just any computer, you could run it off of. Yeah. That, that's the ultimate goal. So as your research kind of continues, uh, do you have plans to take that tool a step further or to make 
additionally to plug in other information or other programs or yeah, other outputs? There's been a lot of requests uh, when we presented this tool across the country. There's been a lot of requests from the soil, some of the water people, to integrate it with some of their models that I prioritize the kind of the best place to put a conservation buffer, for example, on the downslope of a of a stream or something and how that buffer width should vary. They, they have other models that mm-hmm. do really fancy things. So there has been some discussion about how to integrate our model with theirs. Uh, I'm also working with the Ag Econ Department here in Mississippi State to do some simulations across uh, a lot of different uh, commodity prices. So a farmer can say, well, I could do this at $10 a bushel in soybeans, but what if what if it got up to 16 bushels? Is that is $16 a bushel? Is that still the economic output the same. And no, it's not. You're, it's very hard to make conservation profitable when soybeans are $16 a bushel. Uh, so we're working to make sure we can cover the bases there as well. So yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of uh, other options we can do with this. The last thing that I really want to do uh, is say, okay, if you put this amount of acreage on the ground and you're interested in, say, Mississippi or in quail, but in a, say you're in Nebraska and you're interested in pheasants, I'd like to be able to use some other uh, research that other professors are doing around the country and say, here's the economic return you could expect, and here's the pheasant response. Mm-hmm. You can that way we can say you can make $20 more per so acre and you can increase your pheasant population by 15%. Which would be awesome. Yes, and there are tools out there that are getting very close to doing that, but they're not integrated with the economics of agriculture, and I think that's where we're missing the, the boat. Okay. From a practical standpoint, because farm budgets are already really complex, um, if you've got a, you know these different economic tools and if they're individualized for s- different conservation practices, that could start to make an already complex budget more complex. Do you think it's sim- simple enough? Do you think that's a barrier, or do you think it's simple enough that it shouldn't overwhelm a landowner? It should support and facilitate the work they're doing? Yeah, it's a fair question. So what we've brought it down to is a simple economic equation. And if the farmer can tell us what he's producing, what his production costs are, we, we break it down to the per acre. His estimate. or hers. His or hers. If he, can, he or she can tell us what the per acre input costs are and the per acre, if they're getting assistance from other programs, when you break it down to a per acre, all I need, all I need them to tell me is I spent $250 per acre to farm soybeans on this field. I may have spent $300 on the next field, or I may have spent $450 on the cornfield next to it. But on a per acre basis... Tell me what you've got, what you got invested in that acre, what you, and then we can simulate everything else based on the commodity price and the yield they give us. So we try to simplify it at a per acre level. That way we don't get into the amount. Yeah, you, know, you look at a balance yeah, sheet for a, a farmer; sheet. it's it's terrifying. <laughs> uh, so I work with a lot of crop consultants, who I say, look, you tell me what went into that field per acre, and so you boil it. You boil that complexity down to just inputs. First return, and there's a lot of bells and whistles you can put into an economic Mm -hmm. equation for a farm, but at the end of the day, what's going into that acre, what they're getting out of it, is what's going to matter to how they make a decision on their land. One other, one other question, just because I'm curious. So, on the conservation side, when you're when you're plugging in the economic return on that conservation, um, or the incentives that you'll get for putting conservation in. Does that include, you know, planting costs if it's a buffer, maintenance, all the all the things? What about labor and time? 
does that plug into? So the the input cost, there's input cost for the production side and there's input the cost, cost on the for conservation, the conservation. Side. Absolutely. So that is a user-defined variable. They can tell me what's going in there and then for each practice, depending on which version of the farm bill we're on, there are often incentive cost share assistance. Uh, so for each practice that varies a little bit, sometimes tremendously. But if you choose CP42, for example, the pollinator practice that's really popular in the upper Midwest, that comes with a whole suite of sign-up incentives, cost-share incentives, maintenance incentives. All that is coded into the tool. So when you say it costs me $200 an acre to implement that, you're putting your out-of-pocket expense in there, and then it's going to calculate okay, what your so cost Okay, so they can customize is. it. They can customize it. We wanted it, it. It takes, you know, there's a lot of inputs, but the adva- and that's, that's sometimes that's frustrating to work with, but we did that so it gave the landowner more control over what was coming into that model. We didn't want to assume anything. We want the landowner to tell us what they spent and what they expe- expect to spend, and it, com- it all gets calculated behind, behind, the, behind the screen. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for sharing all that information about no the problem. tool. I know that this was packed full of acronyms and specific detail information. If you want more information on Dr. McConnell's research, you can check the Mississippi State University website. He is an assistant professor right here. Uh, and if you have more inform- or more questions or you want more information on the Farm Bill, uh, the USDA NRCS website is where they're going to house all the information on the individual programs and the some of the details about those. Be forewarned that things coming through the 2018 Farm Bill have not made it into on-the-ground practice yet. Um, I was just talking with wild, wildlife biologists here in Mississippi yesterday, and they're still trying to interpret what's been put into the 2018 Farm Bill. So if you want more information, that's where to go. Otherwise, we will see you next time. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu. Dot edu.